trying to keep my really dumb stuff before the, the stream, like my turtle analogy, you know, like wondering how, so yeah, if you were here for that, awesome. If you were not here for that and you're tuning in online, you missed a great discussion earlier. Uh, I ruined Cinderella for everybody in the room. Uh, so there's that. So today we're going to tackle our very first core value of what makes city growth. I just got myself my own little high five there. We're going to tackle the very first core value of what makes City Growth Church, City Growth Church. And it's kind of funny because I never, before I really started to dig into the, the origin languages of the Bible, uh, or Greek, or Hebrew, or Aramaic, we don't have nearly as much uh, Hebrew as I would like for us to have. Uh, there may have a lot of Greek. Uh, but as I began to, to, to really dig into the roots of things, I was like, man, I thought I could say one thing in English and it means quite a few things, but man, if you really want to say something and it means a lot of things, go and speak some Greek. Uh, so there was one concept and one principle that I thought I understood, but as I really dug in and tackled the topic, I learned how ill-informed I really was. And there's a lot of areas of our life that are like that. And we think we're very well versed on something until we actually research it and find out. Maybe I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. Uh, so the thing we're talking about today is worship. Let's go ahead and get it out there. I'm going to say it to you, and then you're going to tell me what you think when I say worship. And don't try and overthink it or, or get cutesy-pootsy with it. If I say worship, what do you think of? If I say worship, what comes to your mind? Singing. Wow, there we go, right? Number one thing. I thought that worship was just singing. And not like wrestling and wrestling. Like I thought that it was just singing, right? Like just generalized singing. The more that I really searched out what it truly meant to worship, the more that I learned that worship is almost more so of an expression, right? So if I told you I had a hunger, most of you guys would probably yell out your favorite restaurant to me because that would be how that would be the you know your prescribed way of curing that hunger. So if I said hunger, you guys would be like, not McDonald's, right? That's probably not where your mind would go. If I said hunger, you're probably going to yell your favorite uh, restaurant to me. But in reality, that's just one way of getting to the cure of the root of hunger, correct? So when we think worship, and you yell back singing, because that's probably where your mind instantly went, that is just one way of getting to the end result, which is worship. Uh, if you are someone who likes to flip along in your Bible, I've got good news for you today. I really, really, really need you to be in your physical copy of your Bible, whether that is paper or on your phone, uh, Uversion app, Smart Bible app, however you're getting there to your destination. I really want you to look at physical scripture today. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to have a Bible, this bottom row over here, man, we've got multiple translations. We've got multiple print sizes because some of us have good eyes. I don't think that's anybody in this room. <laughs> so uh, if you're going to turn along with us today, I need you to flip to uh, Psalm 118. If you're with us at Psalm 118, I'm going to give you time to get there, trust me. Uh, if you're going to be with us at Psalm 18, 118, this is the, uh, the conclusion of what is our Hallel, uh, or our Bebetach, uh, if you're going back to the Greek and the Hebrew. This is our, in your English words, this is the last of our Passover Psalms, right? Uh, some of your Bibles might actually call it that. Uh, the, the finality of the Passover Psalms. What we're going to see, and I need you to kind of put your fingers there for a second, and there will be times when I get you to flip to Psalm 136. Uh, you're going to pass Psalm 119, which is actually the longest chapter in the whole Bible. So you're welcome. There's a little tad bit of information for you. Uh, we're going to look at little bits of Psalm 136 today as well. Uh, to get us to where we need to be in Scripture, I want to show you something. I really like to, I'm not an intelligent guy, so I like to show people definitions so that you can learn. Not me, right? Yeah. 
So I want to show you the definition of worship. So there are two different versions, or there are two different... We have a verb. So the noun is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. If you are not Christian, if you are not a Christ one, if you're not a Christ follower, if you're not a believer of the way, most people will say that they're atheists, but they're not actually atheists. They end up being agnostic. They just don't want to say who their form of God is. Uh, then they would capitalize the word deity right there. Because deity is your God of the day. Uh, if you live a life that you don't have Christ as your final answer, then each day you're, you're plugging that hole. Each of us have a... a a God-shaped hole in our heart, right? So if you don't have, if you don't have God in your heart, you're gonna every day plug that deity hole. Uh, notice that even I, got, I think I've got this from the Webster's Dictionary. Raise your hand if you think Webster's Dictionary, uh, you know, editors would be considered Christian. Nobody should raise their hand here, right? They try and be unbiased on things. Notice how they say the word. This is an example: the worship of Big G, God. Uh, when we look at scripture, we look at uh, some modern translations have gender neutral our scripture. Uh, one example of that is the NRSV, New Revised Standard Version. It's took out the male and the female, and it's made everything kind of generalized, gender neutral. That's not how the scripture was intended to be translated. Am I saying that women don't have an equal share as men? Not at all. I'm just telling you that when we look at God, God is a masculine figure. Okay? I'm not telling you that, you know, I feel like women are just the, the dust on the bottom of my shoe. I'm not at all. My wife is much greater than I am. Okay? But when we look at God, the Godhead, the Godhead 3 and 1, as the Apostles' Creed will, will state, which... Side story, in the Apostles' Creed, you'll notice uh, the Catholic Church, right? And I'll take you there for a second so that we can look at capitalizations. So I used to not believe at all in the, Catholic, in the, in the Apostles' Creed because it said the Catholic Church. And again, until you search things out and you know the full context of things, you have ill-advised conclusions in your head. People think that I'm like just random and crazy and sporadic, but I do everything for a reason. Remember this morning I told you guys that our brain has a tendency to connect dots so we don't understand? That Catholic thing right there, I did it, guys. I used to hate on the Apostles' Creed because I saw that Catholic word and I was like, nope, I'm out right there. I'm not Catholic. Until I really understood what the Catholic Church symbolizes there. The Catholic Church... In the Apostles' Creed, is not talking about Catholicism. It's talking about a centralized, unified, universal church. Oh, man. I do believe in that, right? So I'm there with that. But I saw the Catholic in there, and, you know, all before I understood things, I was like, man, nope. I'm out right there. I believed it up until that point. And my little ill-advised mind, right, formed its own conclusion. Worship is much the same. I thought I understood worship until I really dug into and tried to further understand my little ping-on belt and brain and really grasp what worship is. My goal and my hope today is that when you leave this place, that you, when you think of worship, no longer just say, I sing a song, right? That was worship. That is a liturgical version of worship, meaning it's a corporate or vocalized, it's an outward expression of your worship. More so that should power and uh, really uh, describe and, 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 and unify your whole view and your whole take on worship should be your internal worship. There are actually five parts to worship. We'll look at those in a few minutes. Uh, so we looked at the noun version. Now here's where I want to take you to a second for our, our verb. So in other words, to do. Show reverence and adoration for, here we go again. A deity, notice the lower cap, honored with religious rites. The Apostles' Creed is a form of worship. It is a form of an expression of reverence or deep adoration for a deity. That deity here is capitalized. It's our God, right? 
So the example that Webster's gives us right here, the Maya built, I think that's supposed to be the Mayans, the Mayans built jungle pyramids to worship their lowercase gods. Hold on to that for a second. So go back up to our nail version. The worship of one big G unified who? God, you're allowed to talk back. This is interactive. You know what I'm saying? This is church. This is being a part of what God has intended for us to be. Uh, so we have the worship of who? God, the Godhead. So you have Father, the, the Son, we have our intercessor, and then we have the Holy Spirit. It's really weird. I know our little ping-on brains will never fully comprehend how one deity could be three individual deities that make up one big G God, right? But here we are. Let's look at it. So even Webster's, who is not a Christian, which is not a Christ-following uh, information bank here, notice that they have a lower G God's. Here, right? So something that does not outwardly express Christian beliefs even acknowledges the existence of one big G God versus little G gods, right? All right. So I, I, I preface you with our our uh, our English uh, view of what worship is. Now let's dig a little deeper here, guys. Uh, so. To get us to where we were before service, when, when the ladies finished singing, notice that they took us to Matthew 26.30. Right? So Matthew 26.30 said, And when they, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is also known as, anybody know? Right? There we go. There you go. You can be interactive. This is cool. It's almost like being Pentecostal without speaking in tongues, all right? You can talk, okay? We're cool with that. And Jimmy said, don't say that word. I'll run. Don't mess with me. Uh, <laughs> so when we go to Matthew here, look, it even takes me a minute to flip my Bible. It's a big Bible. It's a lot of words. We're going to go to Matthew 26 here. You don't have to flip here. I just honestly am not really good with memorizing a whole lot of words. So I'm going to flip here for a second. And when we look at Matthew 26, we go to verse 26 through 29 to get to verse 30, right? Because we can't just be singing for like, if I just left you at, and they sang a hymn. You guys would be like, okay, but like why? You know, why did they sing a hymn, right? So next week, y'all ready for this? We're going to take as a, as a, as a, 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 a church, as a, a body of believers, we're going to take our very first communion. Ooh, that's cool. You get a little snack, right? We're going to have wine. I just wanted to see if I could get any kind of reaction there. Nobody got excited about that. I see you guys. Most of you grew up Baptist. I saw that in your faces when I said wine. You're like, mm, I'm not at this church. I'm not getting drunk, okay? It'll probably be grape juice. The little wine communions are hard to get a hold of. I've looked, okay? <laughs> So Matthew 26, 26, that, so we're allowed to joke, we're allowed to have fun. Church is cool, right? Church is fun. Yeah, I like church. That's how I want you to leave here. That's a form of worship. Enjoying church is a form of worship. Oh my gosh. So verse 26 here says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. What you going to do with that bread, Jesus? That, that bread is a physical representation of something much greater here. Uh, the bread demonstrates, uh, up to this point in time, whenever whenever someone did something stupid or hood rat with their friends and they needed to atone for it, they had to sacrifice, right? If you were really wealthy, you could sacrifice a lamb. Blemishless, spot-free, spot perfect. If you were not so wealthy, you probably had doves and pigeons and little, little, little winged creatures with little feet. Like chickens. Jessica, one of your chickens doesn't have to go down there, though. No, it's not. Uh, so when we were with Jesus in the temple, remember Jesus comes in the temple and he flipped the table, right? Anybody remember that? You're like, I don't even remember anything else about that story, but Jesus flipped the table. 
You didn't even grasp the best part because after that, he chases on with a bullwhip. Okay? Jesus is cool. Uh, so when he did this, the reason why he was had anger for the temple there is that the, 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 the birds, the little winged creatures, call them winged squirrels. You're welcome to use that. Uh, when the winged squirrels were being sold, they were being sold at a huge markup. You're like, man, the Bible's not relevant to today. Uh, so something that used to be inexpensive has now been marked up. They call it inflation. Oh, man, gas. Oh, man, don't talk about gas, Caleb. That's politics. It's not, right? It's bad choices that we've made as a nation. It's the fact that we've taken God out of everything. I'm just saying. Uh, and the things that used to be for the, the poor man that we could get to our little working class jobs are being inflated. So that's why Jesus got mad. So that pigeon, that dove, those birds that the poor used to be able to sacrifice as their atonement and say, God, I did dumb things and I'm sorry about it. Now they can't even afford to be made right with God because the, the, the rich, because the holy, the holy people had marked it up to a place that they could no longer afford to be made right with God. Jesus came as a one-time eternal sacrifice. He came to me once and for all. And right here in Scripture, uh, anybody ever really looked in the Bible and, and just saw so much of their self in Peter? If, you were, if you've read any bit of the Bible that involves Peter, you're going to see Peter and you're going to see yourself because... Peter is quick and irrational, and he's ready to jump to conclusions, right? But he's God. He's Jesus' right-hand man. When this happens, Peter is probably like, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm for it, Jesus. And then we'll follow along and see that Jesus is like, well, you say you're for it, but you're not. So this bread that he's about to break and crush, this porous material, Right? Porous meaning it's got a lot of holes in it, very dense, broken apart, much like our body has a solid exterior form that can be broken apart. He's talking about what's about to happen to him, what is about to happen to himself. This, believe it or not, is our very first communion. So after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat. This is my body. Peter probably wanted to say, I'm not a cannibal, right? Because Peter at one point in time says, I've never put anything in my body that's declared unholy, right? So then Jesus has to show him a big curtain, and it's got all kind of animals in it, and Jesus is like, hey, God said don't call anything unholy that I've made holy. That's going to come up in Acts in about two weeks in our Bible study. You guys are going to love that doesn't make any sense on its own, but when you look at the big picture of it, a white sheet coming down, lots of animals on it. You needed this preface right here. You needed this preeminent information so that you don't just draw these conclusions and these blanks, right? <laughs> so he gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. Had wine in it, y'all. I'm just saying. And he said, he given it and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. So this would have actually been the third cup of four cups during the Passover meal. Notice that these Jewish people refer to it as Passover, right? We've just talked about how we, as Christ followers, we no longer are under the law of Judaism, no longer under that set of laws. Now we have Jesus as our ultimate law and forbearance for our sin, as our atonement. Uh, I just gave you that third cup before there so you felt like you knew something when you left here. You're like, <laughs> and when Jesus hands the wine here, this is actually the third or four cups during the Passover feast. I wanted you guys to have that so you could like, you just have that little bit of information. And he gave thanks, saying, drink of it, all of you. Everybody's at this meal, guys. Like, what do you mean everybody? Everybody's at this meal. There's somebody here. 
It's going to betray you. When I say that, you instantly thought Judas. Yeah, we all knew Judas was going to betray him. Peter is going to betray him. Oh, but no, no, man, no, no, Peter, no, Peter, Peter. I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't know Jesus' thoughts and I don't know Jesus' mind. It probably didn't hurt his feelings knowing what Judas was going to do. Right? He knew what Judas had to come and do. Judas was never really one of his friends. Judas was there for the worship, but his heart wasn't invested in the worship. Right? You see this? So Judas is present, but Judas is not present. Right? He's there, but he's not all there. About three weeks ago, we talked about how uh, Jesus is, is a lot of people's Savior. Right? But do you know him as your Lord? So Judas might have actually known him as the Savior. The Lord is to have control over all, right? So Judas obviously did not recognize him as his Lord. And in doing such, anybody want to take a guess where Judas is right now? Woohoo! Ancient double hockey sticks, right? You can say hell. That's where Judas is. He's the betrayer. Not everybody who calls him Lord, Lord will know him. Right? That's Jesus' word, not mine. This is actually this third cup. You want some more uh, to feel like you know some things? That third cup is actually referred to as the cup of blessing. So he's about to give them this and say, drink of it, right? It's also known as the cup of redemption. God, y'all. So who's there right now? Everybody. Right? Judas is about to enjoy the same cup that could have been blessing, that could have been redemption. Right? I'm just going to show you that not everybody who worships has Jesus in their heart. You can come and sing songs and raise your hands. Right? And that's great. That's an awesome outward expression. But if your heart does not know him, then your worship is in vain. I'm almost getting a little fired up right here, okay? If I didn't have flip-flops on, I might be running, I might be running right now, okay? I'm not really gonna run anywhere. I don't know if you look at me, but I'm not built for running, okay? <laughs> for this, verse 28, is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. For the forgiveness of sins. What do we say that this third cup is? It's the cup of what? Redemption. Right? To be redeemed. So verse 28. For this is the blood of the covenant. This is my blood poured out for you. Judas is just looking at it like wine. Right? Judas obviously is not a Baptist. Because if he was Baptist, he'd be like, ain't no wine up in this house. Right? It was wine in the cup. Judas is probably looking at it as a way to get drunk. Because that's where his heart is. That's where his mind is. Where your heart is, your worship is. So this is a verse that, man, this verse 29 right here, it's another one of those verses that boggled my mind for, for a long time. It didn't make sense to me. The other two parts, I could, get, I could gather, I could grasp, right? I understood the body. I understood the blood and the wine. I understood the body is the bread, the blood is the wine, right? I understood that. I could see that. But then you get to this part that honestly felt kind of out of place to me at first, right? So I like to give people homework. As soon as I said homework, some of you guys were like, boo! I don't want to, like, do homework. We're talking about worship. We're talking about growing your heart, growing your mind closer to Christ. I can't do that for you. Only you and your personal study, only you and your personal relationship with Christ can grow closer to Christ. How do you get closer to Christ? Be closer to His Word. How do you get closer to His Word? Read your Bible. So, again, this, this looked out of place to me at first. Right? So it says, I tell you I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine. If you have a physical Bible, or if you have the U version app, one of those apps, 
I want you to actually highlight this verse right here. And if you have the, the physical version, I want you to write John 15, 1 through 2, 4 through 5. Because this is going to be your homework. I want you to come back and look at this on your own in your personal study. Uh, if you're using the U version, I want you to bookmark this bad boy and put John 15, 1 through 2, 4 through 5. And I want you to go back and look at this. Right? I want you to look at the scripture. I'm not going to take you here because I want you to take yourself there. I can only take you so far. Right? This is supplemental. Your personal study should be your primary. This should be your secondary. So if everything that you get with your relationship with, with God comes through Sundays, you're failing. It's almost like there's toes up under here or something. I don't know. The, the rug feels a little steeper right there. So he says, I will tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine. Underline that in your physical Bible. Fruit of the vine. When you go to John 15, it's going to make a lot more sense. Until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, we, we've, been, we've, we've, been, we've had our marching orders here, right? We've had our very first communion with, with Jesus. And then we look at verse 30. And this is all about to make a lot more sense. We're about to bring the form of worship that we knew and join it with the form of worship that you're learning about today. So remember what happened in the beginning when I said worship. What did you say? Sing. Right? It probably didn't sound like how I sounded. I kind of sounded like Kermit the Frog meets uh, Andy Sandberg right there. It was really weird. Welcome to the quirkiness that is me. You're welcome. Uh, so we look at verse 30. And I actually like, I really like how the grouping of the ESV right here. So the ESV, uh, most, most versions, uh, NLT, NIV, I believe, will actually put verse 30 Right there at the end of verse 29. Right? Some of them even live it independent. So it's all by itself. You got 29, then you got 30, then you go down to 31. So it says, and when they had sung a hymn. Wait a minute, Jesus sang? Yeah, bro. Jesus sang. But Jesus sung the song that was his heart. I'm going to say that again because I don't think you grasp it the first time the importance of what I just said to you. Jesus sung a song, yes, but it was the song that was his heart. Because worship was his outward expression of his inward devotion, his inward revelation there, right? Jesus sang what was on his heart. And when they sang a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus is singing a song, a song, a psalter. He is singing a song that is all about rejoicing on his way to his death march. Uh, if you've ever seen movies like The Green Mile, what happens when a man is walking down death row? Dead man walking, right? Y'all seen that? You ever seen old movies? Y'all seen old, old black and whites? It was a dead man walking. How easy would it be in this moment for Jesus who is walking to his death? Jesus knows what's happening. Jesus just sent Judas away and said, go and do it, betrayer. How easy would it be for Jesus to have his dead man walking son? Pretty darn, right? But instead, remember I told you to keep it on Psalm 18, right? So now let's go to Psalm 18. Uh, right after this, verse 31 uh, through 35, remember that Peter who you thought, man, he really loves Jesus. Jesus tells him, you're going to betray me three times. Get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus tells his right-hand man, not really, John is his right-hand man, just in case y'all didn't know that. But Peter thinks that he's his right-hand man. Because Peter is very vocal. Peter is all of us. Oh God, I could never. I could never betray you. But what are you looking at on your phone? Oh God, I could never betray you. But how much TV are you watching compared to how much Bible you're reading? 
Oh God, I can never betray you. But does your inward commitment match that revelation that you're proclaiming? I got a feeling it's a no. It's a no. So we're going to go to Psalm 118. Remember I told you you kind of put your finger in there for Psalm 136. Uh, it's kind of hard to have your finger somewhere and read. So I'm going to put my slip of paper in there. So this psalm, remember, is the the last of our, our, our Passover psalms here, but not really. It's the last of our, our recognized or our defined, our hallels. Right? So it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. That's for everybody, right? God is good for everybody. This song was meant to be sang antiphonally. What if I just said that and just left it and kept going? You guys would be like, Yeah, it is. Anybody want to know what that means? Or you just, you just want to hang out with that? I don't even know what it means. Me too. Let me tell you about it. So when it's sang, and definitely, this is what happens. Jesus would then recite, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. And then you know what would happen? As they're marching, or as they're sitting at the table, the disciples would then ring back and chime back to Him and say, For His steadfast love endures forever. This is, uh, you know those really cool songs? Like, everyone that I can think of that came to my mind, was not a song I should be singing in church. But those songs that sing a verse, and then there's a response verse, right? Like, they, it sings, and then it sings back to it. All the ones, again, that I can think of not supposed to be here. I'm sure your minds didn't do that because you're holy. And if you shook your head, yeah, come see me after service. we got a lot of talking to do. So it says, let Israel say, so he's saying, let the people say, and then the disciples would chime back. What would they do? For his steadfast love endures forever. Guys. Well, time out for a second. Let's think of what we see in modern pop culture. Dead man walking. And now let's look what Jesus did. How do I know I can never be Jesus? Because he sings a happy song on his death march. I'm a coward. I would be running. I'd be out. I'd be shaving my beard and mustache and pretending to be another man. Right? But Jesus is singing a happy song with his disciples who would never turn on him, who would never abandon him, who would never forsake him. When we get to this garden in Gethsemane, would not fall asleep on him as he asked them to pray. Surely they would never do that. Right? But that's exactly what they did, because that's us. Let the house of Aaron say. Who is the house of Aaron? That would be, be your priest, right? That would be your holy people. Let the holy people say. His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say. His steadfast love endures forever. He's saying let the lost sing back. His steadfast love endures forever. Notice how happy that just was? Like, that was good, right? Woo, I like that. Look at verse 5. Out of my distress, I called to the Lord. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was happy. Thing we were just, there's no distress and happiness, right? Like, everything's rainbow and butterflies when we're happy. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. And the Lord answered me and set me free. Flip over to Psalm 136 for just a second. This would actually be grouped into what was known as probably the final Hallel Psalm. It just didn't make it with 113 through 118. But if you look at the composition, look at this. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Anybody looking at 136 right here? What happens? When I say it, I want you to answer back. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Oh, man! Anybody notice something about the composition here? Give thanks to the God, big G, of gods. 
man, we're not going to do it, but I want you all to look all the way down to the end of this thing. Anybody notice a trend? So more than likely what we had was Jesus giving the truth, Psalm 118, at the table. Right? Everything was to be made in conclusion of the Passover feast. We've had our fourth cup of wine at this point in time. Judas is getting a little tipsy. Now he's got the courage to go and betray the Lord. Y'all ain't never heard it explained like that, right? Here's the bad part. He didn't even need the wine. Because that was his heart. His actions represented his heart. Not me, God. I can never. You would. Maybe you're not Judas, but you're Peter. Maybe you're not Peter, but you're John. Where's John at during all this? So as soon as they leave, as soon as the Garden of Gethsemane happens, John's out. <laughs> no, no, no. They're going to kill him. And they might kill me. It takes the death of Christ for them to have the heart of Christ. strong right there. It takes the death of Christ for any of us to have the heart of Christ. Without Christ, we live like Judas. Without Christ, within us, we live like Peter. Where our expression says, my God, I'm going to sing this song. But our heart is saying, as soon as you turn around, I'm going to tell them I don't know you. Right? But there's good news. It's not all bad news, guys. Verse 21. I thank you that you have answered me and that you have became my salvation. Y'all want to hear something crazy? When I read Psalms, sometimes I read them from the New King James. I got to get rid of the these and thou's. Right? I ain't that smart. You throw that thee in there and I'm lost. Throw that thou in there, trip lost. But I like to follow the New King James. Because it's very poetic. The ESV does, a, it does an okay job at it. Uh, there's what's called the NLT, New Living Translation. So that's where I'm at when I'm reading the Psalms. I'm like, I read the New King James, I can feel like close to the Word, right? I feel like I'm, I feel smarter when I read it. But then I can go and read my NLT, so I'm like, oh, that's what he was talking about, though, right? His faithful love endures forever. Verse 22 becomes very important. Remember, Jesus is singing this, guys. With who? His disciples. What are they going to do? They're going to betray him. Everyone on them. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Alright, hold that reference. When Cephas became Peter, anybody remember when Simon became Peter? Anybody remember what he told him? That you're going to be this stone I'm going to build my church on. The stone that the builders rejected. Who is the stone here that we're referencing? Jesus. So Jesus is telling Peter he doesn't understand it yet. Because they haven't went through everything together. You're going to use me, Peter, and you're going to build the church right here on a firm foundation. But you got to betray me first. You got to watch me die first. You got to watch my mom sop up my blood first. You got to know that every single lashing that I'm taking is for your sake, Peter. You have to know that every nail-driven scar that will be driven in my hands, you have to know that, that every bit of torment that I go through is for your sake, Peter. And in that moment, remember, remember how we felt so close to Peter? And man, I would tell him this, and I would tell him that. You also put 
every lash on his back, every lash on his chest. You put every one of those whips with the cat of nine tails into him. But not a bone would be broken. He would pour out his blood for our transgressions. We go to Isaiah. Prophecy tells us he has to do this for our sake. So you guys are like, man, that's a lot of bad news. <laughs> it is. It was our fault. Church is awesome. Remember you were having fun with church earlier. Uh, verse 25, I'm going to take you there for one second. We're going to show you 28, 29. We're going to jump into our last verse of scripture. Verse 25 says, save us, we pray, O Lord. This is to be saying, definitely, right? Save us, we pray, O Lord. And then what do they shout back to him? O Lord, we pray, give us success. Verse 28 and 29, you are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will, uh, ESV says extol, NKJV here says exalt. I think many of the popular trans translations actually say exalt or to, make, to raise me high, right? To put me above all things. You are my God. I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will put you on high. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Here it comes, guys. Something's about to look, from, something's about to look familiar. For his steadfast love endures forever. While it was painful, while it was not pleasant, he did it willingly on our behalf. I can't just give you all bad news, right? That would suck, right? That would suck, man. Like, man, I'm never coming back here. That guy just told me how bad I am. You're bad. Uh, there's, a, there's a hymn that you like to sing that probably says that it saved a wretch. That means you're bad, like me, right? So let's go to Romans real quick. For a pick-me-up, because we get pick-me-ups from Romans, right? <laughs> Y'all are like, this dude is twisted. Romans is not exactly a pick-me-up. If you really want to know how bad you are, you have spent a couple hours in Romans. <laughs> oh, me. You know, like, I'm never coming back here. He's mean. Think of what hell will feel like. <laughs> Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for that who is in Christ Jesus. You suck, I suck, we suck. Woo, that's a chant, right? But guess what? Paul's letter to the Corinthians will actually tell you that in Christ you're a new creation. While you do suck, the new you who is made righteous through God, the new you who is not condemned through Christ Jesus does not suck. Woo! Yeah, that's cool. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In other words, that sounds really intelligent, right? And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know that. So think of this right here. It's the law of the Spirit. Jesus, hold on to that, right? Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Jesus has set you free from yourself. Man. Think about that. Christ Jesus sets you free from the destiny, from the, 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 the predestination, if you're a Calvinist, that has set you free from what you have done to yourself. In Christ, therefore, we are new creations. Jesus set me free from who? <clears throat> Think about this for a second. Anybody ever watch sitcoms? Right? You ever watch situational comedies? I like the ones that break the third wall. And like you think that you knew the main character. Right? Anybody ever watched, uh, what's the one with Tim Mosby? How I Met Your Mother. 
watched that whole show, and you're like, man, the whole time you're watching it, you think Ted's the main attraction, but there's little indications the whole time that the mom and the kids are actually the main stars of How I Met Your Mother. So when you think of your own story, you think of yourself as this bright, shining little star, but you're not. You're not even the star of your own show. Now, you can live life and be the star of your own show, and you know where that ends up? It's hot. <laughs> it's hot down there. Or you can live life as the star of your show is Christ. Therefore, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Verse 3, For God has done what the law, which was weakened by the flesh, could not do. You're like, oh, yeah, woo. The law, the law sent us to hell. The law wasn't designed to send us to hell. So, the, the law was designed for us to be closer to heaven. But remember that chant I taught you guys, we suck, right? Because we suck, woo, we suck. We sent ourselves to hell. Like, man, who would do that? Us. the hell? Me. You. A kid. How do we get away from that? Jesus. It's not even hard. Right? Like it's not even hard. By sending his own son in the likeness of our sinful flesh and our sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. How did Jesus break us free from sin? By sending his son to look just like us and act completely different. He wasn't just raising his hands. His heart showed the outer expression of his worship. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What that says is, we are set free in Jesus. And while our actions will continually try and send us back to hell, because we would send it to ourselves there, he put Jesus as an atonement. He put Jesus as an intercessor. In other words, he sent Jesus as a stop sign so that we would know to turn right or left instead of keeping on the straight path we were heading on. Right? So worship was an expression of his heart. Worship was more than singing a song. It was an expression of his heart. I'm going to pray for us real quick. We're going to bring the kids out. We're going to bring Haley out. we got one more song for you guys. You can go ahead and start bringing them out. Just, just think about that, guys. Just, just think. Told our, 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 our folks before. There are 613 Levitical laws. Levitical laws. They're basically a roadmap to keep us from. Hey, hey, But instead, you can give us directions, and you know where we'll take ourselves. Hey, Right? We do that to ourselves. So instead of those 613, he said, you know what? Let's try 10. Right? You guys suck. We suck. Let's try 10. And even with the 10, while he was giving us the 10, we were building a golden calf. We were literally celebrating a big golden calf. God's like, you know what? It's probably not going to work. So let's go. I didn't want to go to plan A all along. But I knew it was going to take plan A. I kept giving you guys chances. I kept giving you guys opportunities. And you proved. Peter sucked, right? 613, and you're like, yeah, can't do it. 10, and you're like, can't do it. So Jesus came and said, look, guys. Look. Look, look, look. Let's try two. 
and there are still folks who can't do it. Anybody know what those two are? Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. Notice how love your neighbor, love yourself is here. Love God was to be elevated. If you can learn to do this one, you can do this one. We couldn't even do that. So Jesus said, you know what? we got to go plan A. I've got to die for your sins. Because we took 613 and made 10. While you were literally getting 613 condensed to 10, you were dancing naked around a big golden cow. While 10 became 2, we were literally stabbing at the person that would say, you know what, I've got your back, let's make two. We were planning to put him on a cross. And while we couldn't even do the two, he still willingly took the cross for us. I'm going to pray for us real quick. Jessica is going to come up. Dear Heavenly Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord. We just want to just thank you. For the true expression of worship, God, that our hearts can represent who it is that you have called us to be, God. And while we were yet sinners, Lord, you sent your Son on our behalf. While we were on our worst day, God, while we were on our worst behavior, God, you sent Jesus to die in our place, God. And I just pray that today, Lord, when we leave this place, Lord, we see that we are the church. We are your chosen people. We are your called vessel, God, that we can go and spread the message of Jesus Christ into our community, into our neighborhood, into our own hearts, God, that we would take our daily worship seriously, God, that we could express our love, Lord, which is a representation of the love that you've poured out on us. And I pray these things on your behalf, God. In Jesus' name.